go. Synced up. And hopefully there's video this time. Yeah, that was my fault. Hey, it's yeah. okay, Pete. You don't you gotta stop beating yourself up about it. Yeah. You have yeah. to move on. You know what I mean? You gotta be you gotta let it go go after you know. You were talking about a pay cut. Pay cut because yeah. of that. Yeah. But uh, are you still feeling that I should have a pay cut or we'll is it all okay? It. Yeah. We'll talk, okay uh, so. you can leave us a comment down below if you think <laughs> Pete should be um, continue to be Polished. financially. Yes. Yeah. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. My name is Elliot Morgan. I'm here with Peter Rollins. Uh, He's dressed up for the occasion. <laughs> I like the way you always treat it very professionally. Yes. I mean, I'm saying that. I look a bit of a mess, but you make me look... You always pretty look good. pretty nice, though. You yeah. dress in the... Uh, always like... Gray and black. Gray and black. Gray, yeah. And, yeah. Some white. You're doing it. Okay, yeah, that's right. That's true. This isn't even... I don't even... I'm trying to think of what I'm wearing that I looked at for two seconds before putting it on this morning. I'm getting on a plane in a little bit. Yeah. You're looking very tanned, by the way. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, yeah, why. where are you going to? I know where you're going to, but I'll pretend I don't. Thank you so much for asking. Conversation. I appreciate it. So, where are you going? Oh, um, funny you ask. I'm going to Las Vegas. Wow. Your yeah, favorite spot. Um, quite stoked about it. And, um, yeah, we're going to find... Are you going to play the... The horse racing yes, game? You yeah. Took the words out of my mouth. That's exactly what we're going to do. And I know exactly where those horse little ponies are. And you've, you say you've got a system now that's foolproof. Is that right? You feel you've worked it out? Um, I don't know about that. Is that right? It's like getting takes, drunk and just. Yeah, getting drunk and just sort of going. I like the ones <laughs> I like called, the pretty like, colors. Yeah, pretty colors. And you see little toys go around and then they race each other and you, you try to, you know, spread your bets out a little bit. It's a. Uh, it's the stupidest game in the world, and it's great if you're just an adult child. And there's so, a, there's a great, there's a great Mitchell and Webb. Uh, have you seen it? A, a skit where James Bond goes into a casino, but it's all those types of games. Oh yeah, and he's playing with the big body. <laughs> they're, oh, that's They're playing great. whack the mole and guess the the the, the weight of the the fruit cake. Like carnival games. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I will definitely check that out. So. That's uh, why I'm looking like I'm about to get on a plane if you're watching. Uh, and if you are uh, not watching, you're listening, then you're probably aware that we did have an episode go up last week about the meaning of life, whether there is meaning in the universe. Um, you know, just that simple subject. So you can check that out if you would like. You can also continue to check out patreon.com slash the fundamentalist as we continue to pop in there and say hi to people. Now, let's dive into the podcast. The meat of today. This is, so, this is your topic. This is my topic. Yeah, let's, let's This hear it. Let's... is... I don't go life coachy often. Okay. All yeah. right. I try not to do that. It's. I think people are living incredibly. I don't know why you don't do that because your life is such a bastion of health <laughs> yes. that, that I would say you'd be able to teach people how to live it's, well. Yeah. When I go to the doctor <laughs> and the doctor just looks at me like, "What are you doing? Like, I, I, how I, are you still alive? Yeah. Like, You're doing this to yourself. <laughs> you stop your behavior. Uh, and yeah. So, uh, but I, I fancy myself. Um. You know, motivational speaker. I guess yes, you could yes, say. Yes. And. Uh, I'm, I'm going to motivate people on this particular episode. It's called Don't Be Present, okay? There's a lot of propaganda out there from a lot of different sources that will continuously tell you that in order to find some sense of peace or tranquility, what you have to do is learn to quote-unquote be present. You have to focus on your breath, breathe in, breathe out. You have to let the thoughts come and go. So you have to practice mindfulness slash meditation, vipassana, uh, yoga, uh, no, don't do any of that. Don't do any of that ever. In fact, never. if you start feeling like you're in the present, say you find yourself looking up at the stars and feeling particularly small or, or particularly insignificant and it just sort of puts everything in, stop, stop doing that. So here's what we're going to do. Pete's going to explain why you should only look into your past 
ever. And I'm going to explain why you should <laughs> only be obsessed with looking into your future. And there's no way we're going to be tongue-in-cheek about this. And there's no way all these things will be connected, uh, connected in any way by the end. Uh, very good. Very good. I like that. All of those things are things that you quite are partial to. All the time. All the time. I stars and breathing yeah. and, yeah. I just want someone to hold me and tell me I'm worthless. But you want someone to hold you and tell you you're worthy. You do yeah. want that. <laughs> yep. I know yeah. you want that. Yes. That's, so, it. that's why the one fight we got into was when I complimented you that one time. That's right. Yeah, don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was thinking about this, right? Because you were saying, I like I liked this idea of a critique of presence. Um, as I thought about it, I thought about kind of like a wider critique than the, just thinking about the past. So I don't know if that's allowed. Let's do it. That's allowed. Okay. Absolutely. It's your podcast. Yeah. Ah, thank you very much. Yeah. And yours too. So Thanks. I'm looking forward to hear what you say about well, the future. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. So what I was thinking about when you said about this notion of living in the present that people are very, especially in Los Angeles, people love yes. this idea of uh, kind of almost like, Get, get rid of the past. The past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. The only thing that exists is the now. Um, and even people make money or not from meditation where you maybe look at a tree. And the idea is you get to a point where you don't even think you're looking at a tree. You're just experiencing what is. Yes, it dissolves. Yes. And so in philosophy, in, in German idealism, this is called sense certainty. This is this notion of just sensing and experiencing the world in the moment right now um, is, interestingly for Hegel, the lowest level of consciousness, right? This is the beginning. This is what infants experience. This is what animals experience. And it's where it's almost like there's no subject object. Like there is, mm -hmm. like there's a receiver of the data, but you are so caught up in just the certainty of your intuitive experience of the world. And a lot of people, especially in Los Angeles, really say through meditation or drug use, kind of try to get you to experience this, this sense certainty, right? So you take DMT, ayahuasca, sends you into this. But Hegel's point is that it doesn't work. That, that, and here's, the, here's what I liked about what you, this topic, is he says basically there's something that is missing when you experience sense certainty. And what is missing is nothing. The nothingness of the past and the nothingness of the future. Sense certainty, there's temporality. You can only live in the present because it's not the past, it's not yet the future. So there is something about experiencing the now that is infused with temporality. Uh, but you're trying to avoid that. Which, uh, uh, what do you mean? So you're trying. So you're kind of going like, I'm just experiencing this here now. Yeah. This here now. Tempor temp temporality. Yeah. As in, you are uh, not in time. Yes, you're almost experiencing like a. So if you're on Molly or something or DMT, like temporality disappears. That's so why in sad, drugs you yeah. don't feel time. Yeah, you you're literally. It's before the invention of time. Sense certainty is when you kind of you experience a very primitive form of time. But yeah, you're you're almost trying to exclude the past and the future, <clears throat> temporality. Absolutely, so, get them yeah, out of here. Get them out of here. But you can't because the temporality is the only way you experience the present. Because every time you experience the present, it's already gone, right? There's this, there's something that's always kind of like <coughs> playing a part. Now, this, that's philosophically, we can actually make it into a very simple thing, which is 
the past is always present, yep. right? And the future is always kind of impinging on your present. So there's something about past and future that is interwoven with the present. But philosophically, that just means that you, by definition, are always being decentered by temporality. And so sense certainty is impossible, but the other thing is it's also unwanted. Hegel would say that the problem is if some people do experience sense certainty, like psychotics do. I had a, can I tell you experience of my friend last week? Yes, please. He was in a, he was in a, a bus. Uh, he has a psychotic kind of structure. He saw somebody look at him, this, this look, and this look made him murderously enraged. He just wanted to destroy this person, just wanted to kill Whoa. him, right? No, he didn't, thankfully, right? But that's why some, some psychotic people, they will do things like <laughs> you that. You gotta right? watch out. You gotta watch out for that, yeah? But what happened with him is there, he basically, it's like the Manchurian Candidate, this movie where they have yeah. a trigger word that when you hear it, there's no interpretation. There's no division between you and the world. It'll and you just light act. switch. Light switch, right? So he had the Manchurian Candidate experience where just like an animal, like a bird, sees the color red and they just respond with aggression. No interpret, no symbolic, no interpretation. My friend was momentarily caught up in pure sense certainty where there was no mediation of language. There was no subject object. There was just this experience of the external world yeah. that, that immediately affected him. And that's dangerous. Uh, yeah. yeah, for everybody involved, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty dangerous. Mm -hmm. I started the, thinking about the other day, you know, we got these hummingbird feeders up. Oh, yeah, yeah. You just yeah. open a bird sees red. And uh, the other weekend, uh, you know, they drink it and you got to replace it. So, like, Grace goes to grab it off. And one of the hummingbirds just, like, almost kamikazes directly into her head, like, just, like, jerks away at the end and uh we're getting this impression now that the hummingbirds are getting infuriated with us uh every time we take away their feeder for a second to refill it but we find that funny and so we're going to continue to feed them and make them into the biggest angriest hummingbirds <laughs> on the block uh and so that's where my head went but yeah. so this yeah. person when they wreck it when they saw this thing right this, yeah. this there was no explaining it that was a in the present moment yes. and they just were filled with some kind of rage, but they Murder's were self-aware enough of it to be like, or maybe it took them a second to go, oh my God, where'd that come from? It took them a second. So like, thankfully there's enough like social constraints for most people that they, he didn't just get up and attack the person. But but it, it, even when he was relaying this story to me, the, the rage he felt, and the funny thing is, right, the look, so there was an interpretive dimension, the look reminded him of an ex-partner who was very cruel to him. And so that look kind of kind of triggered this. But for a neurotic person, they can they can interpret it. They can say, oh, that look was reminded me of such and such, and that's what made me angry. Yeah. This is like there's no mediation of language. There's just bam. pure bam. It's there. Pure certainty, pure response. Yep. And now I'm mad. And now I'm mad. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so that's an experience, weirdly, of a type of sense certainty. Um now for Hegel, the, the, the idea of the pure present is, this is the reason why, we've, why we evolve out of it, by the way. Like an infant doesn't stay in pure presence because there is an antagonism within it. And eventually that antagonism collapses into, into something else, what's yeah. called perception. 
So a lot of people want to get back to sense certainty because there's no anxiety there. There's no sense of division of the world there. Um, there's no sense of time. It's, it feels lovely. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. It's lovely, but it can't last. It can't because by definition, there's something that's excluded from it, and it's the past and the future. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love that. Well, that was lovely. There you. <laughs> wow, you really brought a bunch of stuff this morning. Mm. There you go. Goodness gracious, like, I couldn't even put on pants. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are you? So you were thinking about it as well in relation to how a subject is always infused with the future and the past. So what? Well, my basic. Uh, thought process was uh, coming up with certain types of topics that we can mm -hmm. both talk about from slightly different angles that's not necessarily different and we're, or we're not, you know, we're go basically focusing on one particular thing that we can both have little light critiques of. Yeah. Um, that would be what, you know, I was thinking about, I was talking actually about uh, in therapy and sort of not in therapy, I was talking about therapy uh, with someone about how I don't have a tendency to spend a lot of time focusing on my past. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't, um, I, I don't. It's too traumatic. <laughs> yeah. Who wants to go into that shit oh show? Oh my gosh, can you imagine? <laughs> my so-called childhood. <laughs> oh, yeah. We only had one jet ski. Uh, it was pretty terrible, but, um, and I had a paddle boat. Um, yeah, it was a lovely childhood and I had, you know, a nice adult experience. And so I don't tend to get super in my head about that stuff. Uh, and I tend instead to focus more on the future, and that's what made me think about this sort of thing. But you can't really think about your future either without thinking about your past, and it is all intertwined. But what I have found in my personal experience with this is, for one, most of this is, is not most of it. I would say a lot of this is tongue-in-cheek in the sense that I like getting, I'm meditating and being present, and I think it's nice. Um, I think it takes work. I think it takes practice to be able to really, at least for me, maybe it's the neurosis, but like, being able to actually like, like I can't do it right now to save my life, like to actually be present, but I can do it at night and it helps me fall asleep really mm -hmm. well. And I've gotten better at it over time. Uh, and it just kind of, I find it to be almost like a fun thing to do. It's a little trippy. Like if I can really get there and be like, like it's, it's a little nut, it's a weird feeling. It's a nice feeling. Yeah. But you're right. Cause it feels like, <laughs> especially in certain cultures, like this one, it seems like you, these, there's people who are space cadets and they, they, they exit the world and there's just, they walk through life being like, duh, 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 which granted we can all do that sometimes, but like they don't, they're not getting into the nitty gritty of actually living their life. Like I think that there's a level of escapism with this being present stuff that in, its, in the end can be a detriment to you. And it doesn't mean you necessarily have to obsess all the time about your past and your, your future, but uh, it definitely seems like people need to engage with the life that we have because I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to be like 70 years old and be totally at peace with everything and feel like nothing ever affects me because I've, you know, gone on 80 billion meditation retreats. Like, I still <laughs> yeah. want to be like, no, like this, I'm, I still want to be pissed off. I mean, I want to, you know, beat the guy to death on the bus who looks at me a certain way. Yep. Maybe not that bad, <laughs> but like, I, I want to like still feel like there's, you know, like you're fighting for stuff here in yeah. this, uh, in this life. And I think it can, uh, it can go too far. It's all in moderation. And basically you can get sucked up into the present moment to the point that it's, you know, you miss yeah. everything else. And, and, and the thing is, I think it's logically impossible. Like one of Freud's greatest insights, like genuinely, I think one of his kind of most interesting, um, uh, kind of revelations. Cocaine. Was cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. 
That'll make you real present. <laughs> yeah, that does, yeah. Um, it was what's called retroactivity, where, and fun, you'll be interested in this as a comedian, because like so many jokes, you could say the structure of comedy is that you're telling a story that people think is going to go one way, but when it gets to the end, uh-oh. You have to reinterpret everything, right? Yeah. So, uh, like, like, so much, so many quips are. Uh, I'm trying to think of one, but it's like basically, you know, you think the comedian is going to say something, and then they they twist it into the yeah. opposite. By by, you realize that the word he's using, um, you know, what's when you say one thing but mean your mother. Yes, exactly. Instead you know, of when you say one thing and mean another. That's true. You know, okay, like what's got four legs, 16 balls, and if it falls from a tree, it'll kill you, like a snooker table. You're going like, okay, nice. those legs and balls. Oh, You're thinking yeah, of yeah. legs and balls, and as in legs and yeah. human balls. Well, it's black and, and white and red all over. That's right. Okay, got it. Exactly. We figured it out. Yeah. Let's keep going. <laughs> so, <laughs> Just say the oldest jokes possible. Uh, so re- retroactivity for Freud is that a trauma doesn't happen in the present. A trauma is only retroactively created from the future. Yeah. So for and I've seen this actually when I watch my friends with kids. Like, you can see an experience or a use of words that maybe are being used around the kid or experiences. But the kid is pretty symbolic. They don't understand this or whatever. But there is a chance that in the future, five years down the line, whenever they are creatures of language, retroactively what happened could become a trauma. Um, So the interesting thing is, what Freud's notion of retroactivity is like a sentence where you don't know the meaning until the end. And then the end helps you reinterpret what happened at the beginning of the sentence. Freud's whole thing is you can't live in the present because actually trauma is retroactively created. What happens in the present changes your interpretation of the past, brings certain things into existence that were already there. Um, And so so not only is living in the present not necessarily desirable, it's actually not the way symbolic creatures operate <laughs> yeah yeah maybe that's how come sometimes when people say it too much i'm like you're lying you're mm, not really mm. that you're not that you're not that at peace yeah it's you got, can't yeah. be you can't be i mean you can i say you can do certain things and get into it for a bit but you'll always have to return to language unless you're just take drugs all the time like you know and some people do yeah. some people get addicted to sense certainly they get addicted to living in that that way, but and numbing agents of all shapes and sizes, yeah, can damper it, I guess. But What's then that? you die, like numbing agents. Oh yeah, yeah, numbing agents and all of that, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, antidepressants. Something like I, I think antidepressants can be very helpful for people. But so I, I know from my friends, one of my friends is coming off antidepressants at the moment, and um, he experienced, you know, a bit of a numbing. Yeah. Um, that that was necessary for yep. to kind of like, but he kind of like was also saying this is. Uh, you know, this is becoming its own problem. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah he's becoming a citizen of Numbtown. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so the, the trick is how do we become productively maladapted to the world? So there's maladaption, which is horrible and we don't like, and then there's trying to be completely at one with the world, or there's productive maladaptation where we enjoy not being at one with the world. And yeah, I, I obviously I'm a fan of the, the third, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm about to head to Vegas, so if, I, if there's any way to be productively maladaptive, I'm pretty sure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll find it there. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I still do you, but you also, you have an ability to, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you've said this You're before. You're wrong. Okay, thank yeah, you. In general. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. yeah. You have a ability to, to sit and um, 
and you can just sit. Yeah, for a long period of so time. So that's weeks, months. Arguably <laughs> the most terrifying. Yeah, that's um, I don't know if it's a superpower or or what. Yeah. But um, where what what happens when you're doing that? Would you say that would you equate that to some kind of like meditation or are you in your own brain literally walking around in your brain just being like uh, well I'll think about this now when Hegel said this one time like is it there's stuff yeah. going on in there there's usually something going on <laughs> yeah something going on um, there's no yeah. there's like a delay and an answer I was like is there anything going on right now <laughs> are you doing on? it right now yeah but you but you are right like I so I'm kind of like very naturally reclusive and very naturally kind of like spend time on my own which sounds like not what you'd expect from what I'm saying. If I'm like, eh, this living in the present thing is actually lower consciousness. It's actually a return to the pre-symbolic. <laughs> yeah, and, meanwhile, you're just in your apartment. Just, yeah. Whereas I quite like it. And, you know, I'm not impartial to certain things that can help you experience that, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but the funny thing is, I think, yeah, the more, I think it's productive maladaptation. It's like, um, it's, uh, there, is a, there is a piece to embracing chaos yeah there's a there's a piece to kind of embracing the lack of peace in the world that's what i think and you become more in fact like most people i think most of us including myself are running from the experience of sitting on our own and listening to our own thoughts and being experiencing our love and hate our shame and fear and all yeah. of those things that are bubbling all the time um and we want to either escape it through activity or we can try and escape it through drugs but the best way to escape it is to go into it. Because yeah. if like, you almost like dwell in it, you, you kind of like move through it, I guess. Yeah. That's why in psychoanalysis, you have to talk about your shit. Like, like if they were just, no, just think positive, right? You, you, you lie on the couch and the, 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 the therapist, the analyst is like, no, don't think of anything negative. I want you to say some affirmations about how great life is and how amazing you are. Mm -hmm. You know, if that worked, they would do that. But obviously yeah. the analyst does the opposite. They go... So you think you're shit? Why is that? You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Or or my therapist just likes to go. All you right. are shit. You are shit. <laughs> you're not feeling great. You're not. You're not. Are you? Are you, you think you're? Do, you, is this okay with? No, I guess not. No, it's not really like that yeah. at all. Um, it's fun to imagine like that. Your therapist. I mean, you because you've been seeing him for a long time. A lot of it seems to be. It's almost like kind of interesting conversation you have with yeah, him. Yeah, that's it's nice. Like, it's a it's a mentor figure, mm -hmm. I think. I was uh, listening to a professor of mine who equated the therapeutic process, and I wouldn't extend this probably to tried and true psychoanalysis, but he was like, there, I like this metaphor. He's like, therapy, people act like it's going to an auto mechanic uh, to get things fixed. And you walk in and you're like, uh, I got this going on, this going on, this going on. And he was like, it's really more like music lessons. Like when you walk in to learn the violin, the teacher can't do it for you, but the teacher can tell you how to hold it. Then you have to hold it. And then you play it. And you'll probably play it very badly. And they'll give you a couple notes on maybe how to do something a little bit different. And the next time you come back in, you still can't play it. But you're a little bit closer, a little bit better. And it's just this ongoing thing. Very good. I, liked. I like that. Like, yeah, because that in analysis you're the analyst puts themselves in a position where you cultivate a conversation with yourself through the analyst so yeah you're yeah the, you're the one playing the instrument lovely because yeah. i also out here too there just seems to be it's a um 
what's in recent time become one of my favorite words. I don't think I'm using it correctly, but the word shibboleth that oh, you, yeah. you uh, informed me of back in the day. Um, Therapy has become very much like a thing that you do so you can say that you're doing it. But then I talked to my friends who are going to see therapists a lot. And I'm like, are you getting, like, what are you, how is this going? And, yeah. and they're like, man, I'm like, we well, should, not, you should go somewhere else. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're just holding it there as like a thing so that you can say you're doing it, but it's not really doing it. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'll meditate on it. Um, <laughs> well, any other, I mean, this is a shorter one, but any other kind of ideas around the idea of future and past that you would like to touch on? I personally am, am future biased and future oriented. I enjoy thinking about the future. Um, and uh, well, less so nowadays because who knows how much longer we're going to be around given the way everything's going. Mm. Womp, womp. But uh, any, any thoughts about it? Yeah, I mean... What I think, I think that, yeah, the, in, in theology, they call it eschatology, the, the future and the, how the future transforms the past and, uh, and the present. And so, yeah, again, I, I think that's, how would I say it? How does the future, I mean, we are time travelers, basically. That's what, yeah. the, that's what movies, are, these well, time travel movies show, is that actually we don't just live in the present. One of the issues, of course, is the past is always present. That's actually one of the reasons why people go to psychoanalysis, because their past keeps returning yep. and something from the past keeps happening. In fact, successful analysis is when you can put something from the past into history, when you can make the past history. But also... Yeah, when you stop repeating it and living it over and over yeah, and over again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the future, I think, has a similar dimension to it, which is um, how we conceptualize the future and how we think about that also tells us something about our present and tells yeah. us something about what we're in. So they're all interlinked. Um, and so you can't live in the moment. It's so trippy. Mm. Um, it, it, you're making me think about uh, the hard work that historians do uh, and how, how difficult it must be to really try to conceptualize just human history. And then it's, I imagine, works very in very similar ways where it's like you, they're interpreting it. It's going to have an effect on them. The way they interpret it has an effect on the events that happened, which has an effect on what people later understand about it. And it's gone forever. And there's no there's no way to know. Yeah. What a crazy job. I've always imagined that historians having the most boring jobs in the world, yeah. but it's gotta be it's gotta be quite a like almost art art form. Yeah, yeah. That's it, because you're the historian, I mean, you're literally you're reflecting on the past, but you're partly creating the past. It's partly a reflection yeah. of the present. So history is not just, yes, reporting on things that happened. It's, you are, like, there is a truth to it. It's not relativism. It's like active. But it's yeah. active. It's an active form of interpreting um, a kind of, and corralling information. So wild. Yeah. And that, that corralling of information also tells you something about the present. Yeah. So that's almost like the Freudian notion of retroactivity, is, again, that the, once you start to learn language, and you look back to your pre-symbolic, you, you start to make sense of it and something becomes a trauma. That's why some people can be triggered at 30 years old, something that happened in their past that oh, yeah. never meant anything. And then it kind of like, they, they give a certain interpretation to this trauma, which is they put language to this event and it throws them, completely throws them. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. You freaked out about the future and um, Elon Musk's new robots. Oh yeah, I, 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 I saw they. I saw this clip where this robot was dancing. I was like, oh my god! But it wasn't a robot; it was a guy in the suit. Did oh you see really? That? The, there, there was an opening 
like where he was introducing the robot, but it wasn't the robot, and he said it, but it, it, which made it very unimpressive. He basically said, this is what it's going to be like, and it was dancing. It was a guy just in the just suit? In the suit, yeah. It wasn't the robot. Did you see that? that I've only seen pictures of the, you know, it's like the black face, right? Black like face the, with the white plastic. Yeah, sort with of white like, plastic. And, yeah, yeah uh, I mean, it looks like exactly what you would imagine a sci-fi robot to look like, but I didn't know it was just a guy in a suit. Well, no, that, the picture you saw was the real one, but when he was introducing it, he got a guy to dance like the robot. Yeah. So, so but when I saw that, I thought that was the robot, and it was very impressive. And the height is 5'8". Is that right? Yeah. Is there a reason for that? I have no idea. So the I perfect height? Thing is, I think, I, I'm assuming it's some sort of, yeah, average. Or, or it's, uh, yeah, it's not too threatening. It's yeah. close to my, I'm 5'7", so it's... Totally, yeah. yeah. Five, yeah, if they made it like 6'2", that would be a bad, bad, that'd be terrifying. Yeah. And what's it supposed to do? What's, what's the... What's, what's I don't know, I had a feeling you would know more than I. Oh, yeah. I literally yeah. just, I was like, ugh. It's funny because Elon Musk has, you know, he has concerns about AI, so it's funny that he's at the forefront of it as well. Yeah, wasn't there something about how it definitely will have an override option? You'll, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, cool. So that's a real, is that like comforting? Like yeah. that you're already having to say that? When everyone, it's, everyone's first thought is, they're going to overtake us. And I saw that. there was an Instagram thing. I don't know if it was real or not, but the, the headline was, I think it was based on reality, but some robot escaped uh, a factory and made it 160 feet before the battery ran out. So I was like, okay, that's good. That's if good. you can only get 160 feet, we're all right. We just stay, <laughs> all stay 160 feet away from the robot plants. We should be good. The robot zoos, whatever they're yeah. going to end up being. See, uh, I'm interested in what... Right, if if I'm right, right, if if presence is impossible, you're right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but if if antagonism is within reality, and we've talked about this before, uh, we last week actually we talked about it. Like we are the meaning of life, not there is meaning. Like you know, because the universe has this antagonism. Well, I thought as a callback. But if this is right, that then AI will have antagonism built into it. And that's what AI movies are always exploring, which is basically a computer, like HAL, has two operating things. It has to protect the, the crew, yeah. but it also has to do something that puts them in jeopardy. And this antagonism creates a symptom, and the symptom is uh, closing the pod yeah. bay doors, right? So, is that Alien? You're talking about Alien? Was that? Was that Alien? Was that, a, alien? that was uh, 2001. Oh, it was? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, but uh, other ones have done as well, like all Isaac Asimov, I think, yeah. always plays on it, is that that a computer has an antagonism, the antagonism develops a symptom, the symptom basically is some violence against humanity. Yeah. That makes sense to me that, that AI, not that it will be violent, but that AI will just have some sort of impossibility yeah. hardwired to it, and I'm really interested to see what that's gonna look like. I rented a car uh, when I was in Ohio um, I drove from Columbus to Liberty Township, which is like two and a half hours or something, straight through Ohio. And my rental car had one of those features in it that I've never driven with, where if I went too far to the left, it would it kind of it would just you. be like, "No, you're coming back here." It feels weird. Doesn't it feels it? super weird, and it kind of made me feel like less safe because I kind of felt like yeah. I was getting like knocked a little bit. Uh, but the computer was trying to protect me. Yeah. And it was probably doing a fine job, yeah. but it would not do that if I turned the turn signals on. So I had to override the computer with the turn signal. Yeah. So the turn signal then became not just a symbol that I am just changing lanes for my fellow drivers, but it was also an override system 
telling the car telling the car were... that I have permission to drive the way across the, the lane. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah. And it's like a little Toyota. It was like a little tiny thing. It was a Camry. See, maybe the the universe had to create intelligent life so that they could create cars that could then just drive by themselves. So maybe the ultimate kind of endpoint of life is machines without human life. Like our only purpose yeah. was to get machines to the point where they could take over themselves. And then once they're doing that, yes, they're going to kill us off because we were just a, a stepping stone to what they really wanted, which mm-hmm. was to be able to drive themselves. So that's our ultimate purpose. And like drones and delivering our packages. Yeah. So and stuff. all of that will keep going. So imagine a world where there's no humans, but still there's drones delivering packages. There's trains mm-hmm. running on time. There are cars going to work at nine and coming home at five. Maybe that's... that's. Have you watched the Bill Burnham special yet? No. Mm-hmm. There's a song in it that's really good called uh, That Funny Feeling. Um, so when you watch it, maybe give it a gander over the weekend and we can talk about it. And we could do an episode on it. Because, yeah, somebody did suggest that. It's really good, yeah. Because I I drove a Tesla and the same thing, and I did the self-driving, and it felt very unnatural. It has a very unhuman experience of driving. I didn't like it at all. I think you have to do it a few times to get used to it. Yeah. But I had to override it. There was one point where it it beeped at me because it it started (laughs) going into the verge. I was like, yeah. Stop. Yeah. (laughs) It was Uh, not as relaxing as I thought it was going to be. I do like the, the... the brake before you're too close to the car in front uh, yeah. of you feature. But even that, it's still, it's all very uh, trippy. And this is just the beginning. So we'll see what happens. And that's just normal cars. This, yeah, like the Teslas are insane. So yeah, one day. I just got a Volvo because I thought it was the safest thing in the world. And they've just been not true anymore. They've yeah. been leaps and bounds ahead now with all the bells and whistles, all these safety features. It's unbelievable. No one cares about this part of the conversation. Guys, yeah, thank you so much for listening. To this. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, any, any takeaways about living in the present, right? The yes. Eckhart Tolle, you live in the now. Hey, just be. I absolutely have a takeaway. I think it's excellent. Okay. I think just like anything else, it is mm. a wonderful thing to do if you are under an immense amount of anxiety. You can't get your yep. head straight. You don't know what's going on. Take some moment, get present, center yourself. Does not need to be a lifestyle that allows you to, uh, to stay away from the internal traumas of both the past and the, the future. Yes, that's very good. And my takeaway is that we are creatures that are within the past, present, and future. You can't, they're all intertwined and interrelated. So, Um, the past is always present in some way. The future is always present in some way. And and we live in the basic uh, kind of of antagonism that those three things create. Yeah, and also it's interesting to do the same technique of becoming present, but focusing entirely on your past. That's a nice little way to jerk out some memories. If you, somebody doesn't have a lot of them. And by the way, the the Hegel, which I was talking about, certainly this is the precursor to psychoanalysis because psychoanalysis and depth psychology, I think to the same kind of degree, is um is all about making space for the thing that isn't there, which is called the repressed, right? So so Hegel is saying that whenever you try to live in the present, there's something excluded. You kind of exclude your past, you exclude the future, you're excluding something. And that excluded thing always returns. It always comes back in some way. And if it's not healthy, it's unhealthy. Freud later comes along and he calls that excluded dimension the repressed. He says the repressed is what you 
It's, it's a type of trauma, a type of nothingness that you try to exclude from the present. But if you exclude that dimension from the present, it will return in a violent and unhealthy way. So psychoanalysis developed from German, German idealism as a, as a technology to enable you to weave nothingness, to weave the kind of what you're trying to exclude mm -hmm, mm -hmm. into your yeah. present. Lovely. Yeah. So that's, that's why I think that um, therapeutic processes that are all about living in the present are ultimately feel because the one thing you exclude is the repressed and actually the repressed is what you want to bring. So the repressed from your past, um, you want to bring into your present. I like the way you say exclude. Exclude. Oh, thank it's you. Nice. Is it? Oh. <laughs> exclude. Um, yeah, that's exactly it. I think that's yeah. uh, a lovely uh, uh, summation of everything I think that we were talking about. I got to get into Hegel. I know I got to oh, yeah. get into Hegel. I'm kind of, I don't know, what am I doing? I'm not doing Hegel right now. I definitely need to do Hegel. Um, because he comes up all the time yep. in, in my readings, but I don't have any kind of understanding um, that's any real solid foundation on. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do, I, by the way, I'm going to start maybe do a course on Hegel at some yeah. point in the near future. So if you want to give me the bullet points, no, I need to learn it on my own, Elliot. Uh, hey. You have to play your own violin. I Thank you so yeah. much. Um, do you want to Venmo me 50 bucks uh, and I'll do Red Snake for you? In Vegas. Yes, I do. Oh, okay. absolutely. You can absolutely. even do. You can even Venmo me a thousand bucks, ten thousand bucks. <laughs> if uh, well, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. D don't Venmo me that. <laughs> <laughs> I think fifty bucks. Let's on start Red with Snake. ten. I'll, I think I'll, I'll have to do fifty bucks on. I'll maybe fifty bucks on like five red snakes. Okay. Ten bucks a pop. Okay. I want five red snakes. Oh, easy. Okay. Consider it done. Brilliant. All right. Thank you, everybody. Take Enjoy care. your time. And don't bye forget bye. To, to stay not present. Bye. <laughs>